Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're the Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. Chapter 3. Halloween Intruder. Almost Nana's house. The icy sting of the wind sliced through the crack along the top of the car window. Dead leaves leaped at the windshield, scratching at the glass, making sure Lou Rossi didn't fall asleep. It was Halloween afternoon, the kind of holiday that made him think about his grandchildren, how he wished they hadn't grown up so fast. He remembered watching Wally carve his first pumpkin, helping Rachel turn herself into a vampire with lots of red lipstick. He remembered saying the rosary by Gina's bedside to help her get over the nightmares caused by scary Halloween movies. Now, Gina had bought his mother's house. The deal had closed two weeks ago, already all sign of habitation by Charlie Wu and family. Not to mention Mike, Morishma, and family before that. Not to mention, it was Medios del Duno and family before that had moved out, patched up and painted over, as though the house had never left the Rossi family. It was almost Nana's house again. Lou Rossi had seen to that. As a former real estate agent, he had been able to recommend to his granddaughter the best painters to redo the interior painting every room on all three floors. They had finished the job yesterday. Wu was sitting in his car parked across the street from the old house. That was close enough as far as he was concerned. He had not yet set foot inside. He would, of course, sooner or later, but he was perfectly content for it to be later. He had gone inside often enough during those heartbreaking last years. He was in no rush. The house would wait for him. Over 80 years old, the house stood stubbornly aloof and alone. It dominated the block, defying change. Foremost among all the other aging, fading houses on Beacon Hill. Built in 1911, it squatted formidably in the middle of the oversized lot and a yard of uneven lawns and intertangled garden beds. Lou had lived most of his childhood in that house, 
It had been built of wood when his father bought it. The hard-working, enterprising Nikolai Rossi had saved enough money to pour a new foundation and encase the original house in a veneer of handsome red brick, transforming the Rossi home into a fortress. So many years had passed since then. That afternoon, parked in the front of the old house, Lou could feel every year. His trim, well-clipped mustache was as jaunty and optimistic as it had been in the Navy, but it had turned white. So had most of his remaining hair, and he still maintained a respectable amount. His cheeks had their share of wrinkles, but his skin was a healthy, weathered brown. Just looking at the house made him feel older. He tried not to remember his mother's screams on that terrible last day. He glanced up out the car window as a small, black, foreign car swerved and toward the curb. It left behind the person he had been waiting for. Just the sight of her chased away a brief moment of gloom from his heart. Look at her. His granddaughter had grown into such a fine young woman. Gina Rossi obviously hadn't recognized her grandfather's car yet. She wasn't looking in his direction. All she could see was the house. He knew from her phone call that she and her boyfriend were returning from some kind of social luncheon at the medical school. She was clearly dressed to impress in a slim blue sheath with a pearl necklace, a long off-white overcoat blew open at her sides. She stopped on the sidewalk before the front walkway. Wu could imagine how she felt. It was hers. She was taking an enormous first step as an adult. He got out of the car. She didn't hear his car door slam. She didn't notice him until he was standing beside her, poking with the toe of his shoe at the hole of the front line, where she had uprooted the for sale sign. Not for sale anymore, he said. Grandpa. She hugged him. Aaron just dropped me off. He'll be right back. He's gone to pick up something at Safeway. Well, what do you think? Isn't it incredible? Nana's house has become my house. He might have tried to answer her, but Lou couldn't look at the house yet without becoming tongue-tied. His granddaughter was too excited to notice. Isn't it like a dream come true? I can heartily believe it, Grandpa. This is going to be my new home. He nodded with a smile. He understood. The house had been his home too. His parents had purchased the house back in 1929. As their only son, Lou had helped them after school by working in their fruit and vegetable stand on Beacon Avenue. Within four years of buying the house, Nicole Rossi had saved up enough money from his long hours of hard work, endless sacrifices, and thrifty ways to purchase the entire building where he rented his fruit and vegetable stand. Now, all the other tenants paid their rent money to him. He and Arisola had conquered the new world. They had carved themselves a life in a strange new city called Seattle. Unfortunately, they were not to share it together for long. Their only son, Lou, was swept away from them by World War II. He sailed off as an enlisted man in the Navy into the sun-banked, treacherous waters of the South Pacific. While Lou was at sea, one Saturday morning, Nikolai Rossi reached up to weigh a dozen tomatoes on the scale. 
and an unexpected collapse into the vegetable display. He died five minutes later of heart failure without warning. A handsome, healthy man of 43. From that day on, Lou's grieving mother had lived in the house on Manor Street alone. Lou had married his wartime pen pal, Gloria, in San Francisco right after the war. He brought her back to Seattle, where they raised their two sons, Tony and Sam, in one of the Rossi's apartments next door to his mother's house on Manor Street. Under Nana's consent, loving and Trisivai, Lou and Gloria's first son, Tony, had been Nana's unabashed favorite. Poor Tony. He had turned out to be a complete disappointment. Despite scholarships and honors, he was unable to hold a job, unable to save money, and suspected of drug use. He had no interest in girls and wasn't likely to provide grandchildren. Their second son, however, had supplied what they most wanted. Sam's first marriage had resulted in Gina, his current marriage, and Rachel and Wally. Three strong, healthy, polite grandchildren for Lou and Gloria to babysit and adore. Three great-grandchildren to be spoiled by Ursula Rossi, the tough old matriarch whom everyone in the family had come to call Nana. Come inside with me, Grandpa, said Gina, reaching for his hand. Take a look. No, no, said Lou. Not yet. I don't have to look inside, Gina. I know every inch of that house by heart. Believe me, every inch. The slinky black sports car pulled up to the curb behind them with a confident purr. It's Aaron, she said, waving to the driver. The car honked in reply, turned off its engine, and shuddered. I should go, said Lou uneasily. I'll leave you two alone. I'm sure you have plenty of- Oh, don't leave, Grandpa. At least say hello to him. You don't mind, do you? Please. See, that didn't take long, said her boyfriend, climbing out of the car. How's it going, Mr. Rossi? Nice to finally meet you. Lou smiled lamely and shook hands. Hi there. He pulled free of the handshake and backed away. He knew Gina well enough to say that meeting him was important to her. He had never been very good at saying no to his grandchildren, but that was enough for now. A few words right there on the sidewalk. Lou wasn't ready to go inside. Red Rose, White Rose. Your grandpa didn't look very happy to see me, an understatement. They stood on the sidewalk together, watching her grandfather's car lurching back and forth, back and forth, nervously working its way out of the parking place. Nonsense. She waved after the departing car. It had nothing to do with you. Grandpa's a little sensitive. For him, it's still his mother's house. He must have so many memories. He put his arm around her. Even more memories than you do? She smiled up at him. His navy blue necktie was loose at the throat, his collar button undone. His expensive gray suit, like the flashy car, were graduation gifts from his parents. She noticed the champagne bottle and plastic cups, the result of the trip to Safeway. Student supplies? 
A little celebration is in order, said Aaron. You and I have earned it. Hard to believe it's finally real, said Gina. She stood beside him on the walkway, facing the red brick entranceway to the front porch. There used to be a huge red rose bush on the side of the stairs and a matching white rose bush on that side, which is exactly what I'm going to plant there. Sounds good to me, said Aaron, as he unfolded her from behind with one of his free arms. Red on that side, white on that side, or was it white on that side? Now I'm not sure. I think the red was on that side because I can remember red petals on the grass over here by, you know, it doesn't have to be 100% exactly the same. Yes, it does, said Gina. It does. The words came out a little too fast, too emphatic. And that look in her eye, there it was again. That same look she'd had the day she told him she was buying the house. Every detail matters, said Gina. Believe me, it all matters. And it's all going to be right. Red roses here, white roses there. I know exactly how it has to be. Someone inside. Together, they started down the red brick walkway toward the front door of their new home. Troubled clouds congested the sky into a premature darkness. The afternoon was drawing to a horrid, nervous end. Halfway there, Aaron stopped abruptly jerking her to an unexpected halt. What's wrong? He was squinting up at the house, shading his eyes with his hand. Who was that? Who? Gina looked around her. Where? Somebody's in the house. How could they, said Gina. Don't be a tease. It's my house now. I'm the one with the key. Obviously not the only key, said Aaron. She could see he was serious. Up there. Didn't you see someone in the window? No. Don't look at me like that. Something clearly moved up there. I could see a shadow distantly crossing the light. Seriously, I swear. Probably one of the painters came back to pick up something they forgot. He cupped his hands around his mouth and called, Hello? No one answered. How could it be the painters, said Gina, without notifying me? This house is mine. Why would anyone need to be here without my permission? Misunderstanding, said Aaron with a shrug. I'm sure there's a perfectly good reason. He called toward the window. Hello in there. Well, they won't have a good enough reason for me, said Gina. Nobody else has any business being in this house. She had her key out of her purse. She started up the stairs to the porch. I intend to make that very clear. Aaron caught her arm. Let me take care of this. Am I looking particularly weak or helpless? Things could get awkward. I may be just a woman, but I can handle it. Make yourself useful. Hold the screen door open, would you? The lock clicked before the thrust of her key. The door swung open. Aaron tried to step in front of her, but she forced her way past him.
After you, said Aaron. Gina stepped across the threshold and to the hushed emptiness of the house. Where's the light switch? asked Aaron, reaching out through the windows along the living room wall, but she had no interest in light. Her eyes were already adjusting. Before he could stop her, Gina had crossed the living room and was starting down the hall. Aaron was right behind her. Hey, slow down. Don't get all hot and bothered. I am hot and bothered, said Gina. Whoever is in here doesn't belong here, period. This is my house, not theirs. And I've got the papers to prove it. Come on, Gina. It's Halloween. Kids go nuts at Halloween. Do all kinds of crazy things. It's probably just some neighborhood hellraisers who thought the house was empty. There is going to be some hell raised, all right, said Gina. If I need a man to protect me, I'll holler. You know, that's not what I mean, said Aaron. But he was talking to himself, left alone at the end of the hall, as Gina started up the stairs. He didn't follow her. He knew better. Fine, have it your way. He stood nervously below. He heard her footsteps, heard her calling. He waited. Every muscle tensed for the slightest sound, ready to bolt up the stairs. No response. He found himself standing alone. He paced down to the doorway of the master bedroom at the far end of the hall. Odd place for a master bedroom on the main floor. But Gina had explained to him why. Nana had insisted. The three rooms where she would spend the most of her time were all clustered together in a row. The room she shared with her husband, her son's room, and the kitchen. Why should she spend her day running up and downstairs? She'd gotten her way. Nina must have been quite some woman. As usual, Gina had insisted on following Nana. He stepped into the empty bedroom. His footsteps rang hollowly across the wooden floor. He imagined where they would put the bed. He imagined them making love on it. The room had three windows, a high one in the west wall that gave plenty of light and no view. The two bigger windows that opened north. One was in the purple shadow of the maple tree, crowding that side of the house. The remaining window had a view of the backyard and even a low wooden window seat that accommodated the viewer. He glanced out the window. Because of the yard's steep slope, the house's main floor became here at the back. An upper floor perched above the basement. The basement door opened beneath him on a stone path leading down the vegetable garden. Something about that little garden. He found himself staring at the scattered rows of leafy remains. Then he saw something else. Something seemed to be moving through the garden until he realized that it was not in the garden, but all but reflected in the glass. Something behind him. Gina. He spun around. No one was there. He turned back to the window. The reflection in the glass moved. Very funny. Okay, I'm scared. You can come on out now. No response. To his dismay, he found that he was getting jumpy. He stared intently into the glass. What was that? It was hard to see clearly, but something reflected behind him was shifting position in a shadowy corner of the hallway. Was it a person? 
Aaron wasn't sure. He couldn't see it moving. He just couldn't see what it was. Gina stepped through the bedroom doorway. False alarm, she said. Nobody in the house but us. She surprised him by walking across the room and giving him a warm hug. He resisted at first. He wasn't so sure it was a false alarm. He kept peering out the door down the hall, unconvinced. She convinced him. Just us and the smell of fresh paint. I'd say it's time to celebrate, said Aaron, attempting to shake off his weird mood. Watch out. The champagne cork ricocheted off the wall. The bottle frothered over. He caught the spill in the plastic cups. They interlocked arms and drank. Their new life was officially beginning. The moving vans were scheduled to arrive early Saturday morning. One from Indiana with the furnishing of both their college apartments. One from New Jersey, packed with a house full of furniture from one of Aaron's wealthy aunts, recently deceased. We're on our way, said Gina. It's happening, said Aaron. One drink led to another. After all, they really had something to celebrate to a new life together on Maynard Street. I'll drink to that, they drank. To the most wonderful person in my life. I'll drink to that. They drained their plastic cups, then they kissed. They kissed again. Happy Halloween. Too bad we don't have costumes. We don't need any costumes. We can be Adam and Eve. They couldn't stop giggling. They were like children. They started pulling each other's clothes off, unbuttoning, unzipping, in reckless excitement. There, in the empty bedroom, in the empty house, Gina's thin overcoat was hastily spread over the cold wooden floorboards. But there are no curtains on the windows. So, what if trick-or-treaters come? We're wearing our costumes. Aaron! She pinched him on the shoulder. He grinned. Hey, if you stay down here on the floor where you're wanted, trick-or-treaters won't be a problem. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at The Porter Gals or on Instagram at The underscore Porter Gals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at roguemedianetwork.com. You've been listening to The Poltergals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media podcast.